0: This week's episode is brought to you by FOCO USA. FOCO is the official face covering of the Iowa Hawkeyes. And if you've been watching Iowa football at all this year, you've seen the new Hawkeye face coverings and neck gaiters that the players and coaches have been wearing. And FOCO was even nice enough to send some out to myself and Thad. And they look great. And they're definitely the most high quality face mask that I've had since this whole thing started. And if you wanted to grab one for yourself, Feel free to head over to FOCO.com and even tell them that the All Eyes crew sent you. What is up, all of you beautiful people? And welcome back to the All Eyes podcast. My name is Robert Donaldson, and we actually have quite a bit to talk about today with the Senior Bowl in full swing, uh, the College Gridiron Showcase last week, and sort of just the NFL Draft process and NFL Draft season really getting into the thick of things just in general. However, before we jump in, um, as always, I'm joined by my excellent co-host Thad Nelson, aka nails 20 on Twitter, and as a basketball coach, Thad's season is in full swing too, you know, how's the squad been looking lately, Thad?
1: Yeah, things are going pretty well. We did have a busy week last week. We had four games in six days. So by the the fourth, we had a, a Friday night game and then played in a tournament on Saturday and had a ten forty tip-off. So a little bit sluggish um, out of the gates in that one. But things are going well. Staying busy. Just hoping to uh, make sure we're hitting our stride at the right time with tournament times coming up in about a you know, couple weeks.
0: And school's back in session, right? Like, that's that's been for a couple weeks now.
1: Yeah, we've been back, uh, back starting the second semester here. And uh, it's strange because you see some stuff, you know, with Iowa about, oh, we'll know more about if anybody comes in uh, as far as grad transfers or stuff. That's how we found out last year, I think, about uh, a couple guys is all of a sudden they showed up on the spring um, student directory, so University of Iowa's not starting yet. They'll start here, um, I believe, pretty soon. And But us, we've been uh, up and rolling for a while.
0: Well, there we go. Um, yeah, and, you know, uh, I guess just jumping right into things, you know, Senior Bowl's in action right now. Um, and they kicked off and started kicking off on Monday. And there's two Iowa Hawkeyes in the Senior Bowl and just doing everything, going through all the drills right now. Um I wonder how interview process is going right now with uh, just COVID in general and all that process. But, you know, Chauncey Golston has really been shining. Um, I've seen a few clips of him, and I've seen I've been watching on NFL Network a little bit when I can. And just in one-on-ones, he looks almost unguardable just with that length and that power and just that, you know, the quickness, especially in a one-on-one type drill where it's not, you know, you can freelance a little bit more than you can in sort of a structure of a defense And, you know, we talked about it, you know, all season long. He's the type of guy that NFL scouts are just going to love because he's quick, he's fluid, he's long, he's strong. And, you know, it really shows up, especially in those one-on-one drills. You you just can't really guard him.
1: He's a guy that I've always really liked um, from his time at Iowa. And we mentioned, you know, he'd always been a guy that kind of did his job, did, you know, held the edge, was always a really good run defender. Uh, was a decent pass rusher, but by the end of the season was dominant, was finishing plays. And, you know, now in a situation like that, when it's drills, when he's one on one, it's a, you know, a pass rush rep or something like that. He just shows off that length and that explosiveness and his versatility. You know, he could play outside, he can play inside. Uh, he measured in just under six foot five, you know, close to 270. So he's got the size and the length and everything you want from a guy to have a lot of D-line flexibility and can be a guy in the NFL that that can position himself at different spots and play, you know, not just a third-down guy, not just a first-down or second-down guy, a legitimate three-down player, which is very rare along the front line in the NFL.
0: Yeah, and, you know, the thing with him too is a lot of the things we talked about that he needs to work on as he transitions to the second level – he kind of did in the last three to four games. Really showed up in the Nebraska game, where it's just finishing the play. He would get there so many times and cause a hurry or cause a pressure or whatever you want to call it. But it, it just like it felt like the the quarterback would be able to escape him or elude him in a way. And so he broke up the play, he just didn't finish it. And sometimes you know that can actually be a detriment. You know if you're facing an athletic QB and you give him some green grass on the edge and he can just take off and go vertical up the field. Sometimes that can really bite you if you can't finish a play. But that wasn't the case at the end of the year. And it finally felt like Chauncey Golston kind of turned a corner and just the evolution of his game. And that's really cool to see, especially, you know, that he did it at Iowa and finished out his career on a really positive note. And he wasn't even supposed to be in the Senior Bowl for a long time. You know, he was an East-West Shrine game kind of guy. That game obviously got canceled. But the the Reese Senior Bowl kind of came on late to him. And he's been a big talk because he's, you know, they did the measurements on the first day or the, f- the second day and his hand size was through the roof. Like I'm blanking out on the measurement, but people were like, that, that's a joke, right? Like that's cartoon hand size.
1: I'm pretty sure it was like 11 even if I remember right, <laughs> like 11 and that's you know, <laughs> yeah. So just his length and that, and then you look at those hands, but you can see when you have watched him for the last couple of years, you know. When he was playing runs, he just long-arm tackles and just completely hold them off with strength and with his length, and then just shed them so quickly and so easily. And it's going to show, you know, you get into these reps, and that length is such an advantage. And not just that he's long, but that he's powerful, that he's explosive. Um, you know, there was a tweet the other day from, I think it was, you uh, know, look it up, Ben Fennell, who had just a highlight clip of some of his plays from this year. And you, A lot of them are, you know, Wisconsin, Nebraska, some Northwestern, you know, a lot of the stuff was later in the season. And he's just absolutely mauling dudes, you know, throwing guys to the side, finishing plays, whether it's running backs, quarterbacks, getting out on the edge and blowing up a receiver screen. And it was just fun to go back through those because we mentioned some of those during the year, but to really kind of see them packaged like that, it jumps off the screen at you about how explosive and how versatile and how athletic he is.
0: Yeah, you don't really get a good grip on, you know, what kind of play, like how he measures up against other defensive ends in college until you watch watch other defensive ends in college. And they're not doing that kind of stuff with the regularity that Chauncey Golston is. Uh, the, the plays that the splash plays that he makes are not just, you know, once a game or two times in one game against a lesser competition and then, you know, three games off. It's almost every single snap you can watch him and something might happen. And you look at some of the best guys um, to come out of college and go in the NFL draft, even in the first round. You know, I think of like the Shane Rays of the world and and, um, you know, Shaq Barrett's and, and these kind of players who were really high, really highly regarded. There were games where, you know, analysts were really torn on how good they might be because they would be disappearing and post a one tackle number with no sacks four games in a row and then have a three and a half sack day. With Chauncey, you know, to get on the field and not just be a specialty kind of pass rusher, he had to do so many things well. And because of that, he was getting more frequency to beat right tackles. And, you know, as we talked about, the progression of his career really just came to a head in his final year. And he really just put it all together and matched the length with the strength, with the speed and the quickness off the edge, and just kind of an overall f- uh, football IQ. And it resulted in so many splash plays because he is so, and he's in a different tier as far as an athlete is. And this is a guy who, you know, coming out of high school, wasn't highly regarded as a recruit, was probably very underweight compared to what he is now. I mean, I don't know how many pounds he's put on since his freshman year. Do you know?
1: I think he came into Iowa right around 220-ish. So he's put on close to 50
0: pounds would be my guess. And it really does show. I remember, I don't know if you remember too, But just a couple years, he was so wiry. You know, he looked like almost like a receiver playing defensive end and just like a tall, lengthy kind of guy. And even in his junior year or last year against Wisconsin, when Wisconsin and Jonathan Taylor were just kind of bashing Iowa's defense uh, for big chunks of yardage, he was getting bullied by the right tackle and right guard, like pancaked and thrown around the field and just run across the field on just dry blocks and you did what there was there any moment this year where you even thought that a a right tackle even overpowered him um with frequency? I don't.
1: No, I mean I'd have to go back and rewatch all the film, but it, you know they got they would leave him, you know, on a one-on-one or you know even when the teams would try to double him, he would be able to get off of it or at least he'd just hold them up and let the linebackers get there. And we've talked a lot this year about how much Uh, Neiman improved how Benson and Campbell and those guys would flash at different moments. And a lot of it is because that defensive line and especially Chauncey Golston were eating up guys or just going by people. So now all of a sudden the offensive line is off balance. But as you said, you know, he started off kind of this wiry guy, but even as he put on that, you know, 50 pounds or whatever, close to 50 pounds, he was just so fluid. You know, he moved to me like he looked like a basketball player out there. And that's something that when I'm looking at, you know, tight ends, especially, but defensive ends are kind of in that same boat. You know, how do they move? Just are they fluid uh, with their hips when you see them in pursuit? You know, are they lumbering or are they just running? And he's such a fluid, natural looking athlete. And he's obviously put in a ton of work in the weight room. And really studied the game because his technique is good, he understands leverage, he understands holding angles and really good with that. But just to watch that progression of him from a physicality standpoint was unbelievable. And then watch him make that last step, as you've mentioned, getting close with pressures, hurries, things like that, and finishing plays and creating, you know, creating turnovers or being in the right spot to get a turnover, you know, his length to deflect passes. And make plays like that. It's just really special to see him grow as a player, and now watching him get that notice of like, "Hey, this guy's a really good player," and he's going to go on and hopefully boost his draft stock and be a really good NFL player for several years.
0: Yeah, as he goes through this combine process, you you mentioned it. Like, there's guys who are tall and there's guys who are lengthy and have that speed combination where they can, you know, just bowl against a right tackle. But there's not very many guys who have that strength pattern and are a 4-3 kind of defensive end mold and have that level of fluidity to them. Because, like you said, he he looks like a basketball player with some of these cuts and some of these jump stops and just the like the way his hips move. It's just different. You know, I'm gonna compare him to AJ Ep- Epinesa just for a second. They're very different in how they get the job done and, and stylistically, but He's so, um, talking about um, Chauncey Golston, he is so much more fluid than AJ Epinesa even was as a freshman. And to be honest, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make the, the hot take of the episode right here. Chauncey Golston is without question a better prospect than AJ Epinesa ever was at any point during his Iowa career. It's just not even close to me in my opinion. When you compare the length, the length is matchable for sure. Then you look at the strength. AJ Epinesa, I think, has a very clear advantage in just the strength department which as a prospect kind of lended him to being a versatile um, you know, piece that can fit into a lot of different defenses. and you, But that also created a problem of being a tweener because he was kind of in that 280-ish, um, up, um, maybe lower 290 range. And it was like, you know, where do we slot him? Is, do we bulk him up and make a 3-tech or a 5-tech or is he a base 4-3-D end? But, you know, his combine numbers weren't really of the base 4-3-D end kind of type. With Chauncey Golson, you have a very clear trajectory on where you're going to slot him. He's a 4 3 end, plain and simple. You're not going to bulk him up. He is pretty much at the weight that he'll be. Um, you're just going to make kind of maybe subtle tweaks to his muscle mass over time, but you're not overhauling anything. And he can step on the field day one and really make an impact. Whereas AJ Epinesa was sort of a guy that you had to build in whatever your vision was of him as a player. And honestly, I. I keep looking at Chauncey Golston, and the first-round hype is going to come, especially if he has a good combine. That's just how it always plays out with edge, rash- yeah, edge rushers. You know, if he has a good three-cone, if he posts a good 40 time with the, that hand size and the length and the good senior bowl, we're looking at a first-rounder here. No question.
1: Yeah, his uh, pro day is going to be really important for him. I, I'd have to check. I think I heard on the combine it, they're going to do – you know, some interview stuff and a lot of Zoom meetings, but a lot of the reps just aren't going to happen at at that situation. So it's going to be really important for guys like him to show off his athleticism in that pro day situation. And he's going to do it. And the interesting thing with him, in my opinion too, is he's kind of a late bloomer. You talked about, he wasn't a a super high recruit. Um, Obviously noticed and had you know, some decent offers, but he was not like the big guy at one of the big guys in that class and somebody you really had to project. Okay, here's that long, wiry frame. Can we beef him up? He's probably not peak performance from an athletic standpoint. He's going to probably continue to get stronger. You said you can tweak that muscle mass in the way he is. His strength and his explosiveness is going to continue to improve. So you look at that and if, you know, if you're, drafting. And a lot of that is projection and potential and things like that. He's totally an unfinished product at this point, And he has a lot of reps. He's, he's had really good coaching. Obviously he's, you know, disciplined in his performance and his approach, but it's a guy who like his ceiling is still further and further ahead. Like his best football is in front of him. And that's something we heard in the past from Kirk Ferentz on guys like James Daniels on somebody like Tristan Wirfs, who my gosh, if he gets any better, like he was, he's amazing already. But if that dude continues to get better, which we all think he probably still will and can, just from an age and, and growth standpoint, but Golston, you know, I'm not projecting him to be a Tristan Wirfs type player, but it's the same in the sense of he his best football is ahead of him because he is was kind of a late bloomer, and because when you are that build that he has. Like it just takes those guys time to fill into that frame and figure it all out.
0: Yeah. You know, and especially when he's still growing into his frame and learning what exactly he can do and, you know, shortened season, he didn't even get to really fully realize it for a full season. You know Um, if he faces lesser competition in non-con, maybe he gets a little bit more experimental and he starts to figure out things. And that's maybe what he's doing a little bit in, in the senior bowl work and just sort of going through, you know, whatever kind of uh, trainer he's working with or agent or whatever kind of system he is preparing for the draft with, you know, maybe he's experimenting with that too. And, you know, also let's give a little shine to Larrick Jackson, who has also been shining at the senior bowl. A lot of people have positive notes about him Um, He's looked pretty good outside of maybe one rep that got, you know, blasted on Twitter, but it's one rep out of 100 he's probably taken in the past two days. So imagine that, you know, Iowa football players are good at their position drills. (laughs) It's just like the most guaranteed thing for any Iowa player that steps into these showcase games, which is really unfortunate because, you know, the East West Shrine game got canceled last week. And. You know, that was supposed to feature guys like Jack Heflin, Sean Bayer, Nick Neiman, Brandon Smith, a big one right there. And then Amir Smith-Marset, who I, is he fully healthy at this point or is he just kind of being tentative with it? Uh, honestly, I
1: have not heard any reports. Um, I haven't dug as deep as maybe I need to with that. But I have I've really not heard much of anything on on his health front for the last little while.
0: Yeah, and Honestly, I mean, I would imagine just the smart call would be to, you know, sit out these kind of showcase weeks and just prepare for the combine and prepare for the pro day and just kind of, you know, prepare it like that. Um, But it is unfortunate the East West Shrine game didn't happen. In its place, though, was the Gridiron Showcase, which I believe just started a few years ago. And Sean Beyer and Jack Heflin both made appearances in that one. And Sean Beyer apparently did really well, too. So, Imagine that, you know, an Iowa tight end doing well position drills, Iowa tackle doing well position drills, and an Iowa defensive end, you know, showing what he can do. That's pretty much been the uh the three core positions, defensive line, tight end, offensive line, that's really carried Iowa in, in this whole draft process every year. <laughs> yeah, I'm really excited to see
1: how those three players specifically that you mentioned, um, how their pro days go, how this lead up to the draft because I think all of those guys can have, you know, extended NFL careers. They all have the physical tools. Um, They've all done the little things, you know, Alaric Jackson's a guy who, who has a ton of starts at left tackle under his belt. And at times has looked really good. Um, You know, at times has looked a little shaky, but you know, with his junior year, he obviously he was never fully healthy. We mentioned it. There were times this year um, where he just looked a little bit out of sorts or off balance, but Used his strength to kind of regain and just reset and was able to at least keep, keep somebody from getting a sack or or things like that. And that's something at his size that he's going to be able to lean on. I'm interested to see, you know, is he somebody at the NFL level? Do you project outside? Do they project him inside? You know, because it was once a time when a guy who's six, 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 you know, I think he listed in just right at about six foot six, uh, in his measurements, you know, that's a guy who you would always have to play outside. And he's shown he's got nice athleticism and strength. He can handle some things one-on-one. But at the NFL level, you know, I think it's probably a guy who, if he does start outside, would start maybe on the right side. But that's a guy now you can move into guard. There, There are big guards in the NFL now. It's not a thing where, you know, ah, this guy's too big to play inside or too tall at least. So I'm interested to see, you know, what do teams see for him with his Uh, projection. And then Sean Byers, a guy that I've always really liked. He's got an excellent frame, a tremendous blocker uh, and has plenty of athleticism. You know, he's a guy coming out of high school that had some great track numbers, great, good football numbers. And, you know, had to wait his turn at Iowa as far as playing time with some really good players in front of him or right in his class and then had some injury issues. He has everything that when you watch the NFL, that you would want from that tight end, or could you put him in an H back some spot? Uh, and I, so I'm really interested to see the feedback those guys get. But I would not be surprised if in four or five years, all of those guys are NFL contributors.
0: Yeah, and I I absolutely agree with all your points, and with Alaric specifically, you know, there's that's been kind of a big thing where a career college left tackle or right tackle has been kicked inside to guard. I mean, you saw it with Connor Williams from Texas. This was a guy who people were trying to peg as, you know, a top ten pick at one point at tackle, and now he's playing left guard for the Dallas Cowboys. And so it's not like this; it's a far fetched idea that a guy who got really no reps at guard at any point in his career in college would be shifted inside. Obviously, you know, just with the the premium placed at tackle, if he's even somewhat decent as a tackle in the NFL, he's gonna stick. And tackle play in the NFL, I've, I've mentioned it in a couple episodes back or maybe a couple of episodes just in total but tackle play in the NFL is awful I mean you're just just really awful there's no depth there there's not enough starters to really um, cement themselves for every single team and teams are always looking just for you know something you know be adequate be just average like we'll pay you the premium even if you're just good enough so he's going to get some run or at least an opportunity there for sure especially with an Iowa pedigree and and a veteran pedigree of experience at playing in Iowa and, in the big 10. Um, but yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how this process goes for him, especially the combine because he is a big dude and he's a heavy dude. Who's had some weight issues at Iowa in his time. So does he come out maybe, you know, tip top shape for the combine and, and perform well? I think that's, that could be a question. I think a lot of people expected AJ Epinesa to come out and tear up the combine and, that didn't go well. That probably sunk his his stock a bit. So it's it's a fair question, even with some of these Iowa guys who are really talented. You know, the, does the testing always gonna benefit you like a George Kittle, or is it gonna sometimes backfire like an AJ Ubeness? I think it's a fair question.
1: Yeah, Jackson's an interesting one because you mentioned, you know, weight started a little heavy, came down, and this year totally looked like a different physical person. Uh, there was obviously a lot of talk about changing his diet, um, and how he was eating and things like that. And, you know, obviously look change his physique, you know, you could just tell even in pads. So does that translate though? You know, when he gets into those drills, does, can you tell that he's lighter on his feet, but can he still maintain his power? You know, can he still lean on guys? Can he still hit with a punch and things like that? So I want to see all those things, but. I think all of those guys have a great chance, you know, to, to make some noise and show really well in their pro day.
0: Yeah. And, you know, we talked about Chauncey Golston getting used to, you know, adding pounds, you know, it's the same thing. When you're dropping pounds, you, you, you feel like a different person, but you still have the same tendencies as when you were, you know, 340 plus pounds. So there's certain things that you just kind of have to adapt to. And this past year, when, you know, we have the spring taken out for spring, you know, spring camp taken out, you have fall, uh, fall practices in camp taken out, kind of, and you have this shortened eight-game season where every single week's uncertain, it, it just kind of gives you a different feel. You're still probably getting used to that body, especially when you just started a new diet. I mean, you, you see NFL players and, you know, current NFL players, like an Aaron Rodgers, for example, sort of deal with the changes in their diet. Or, you know, you see, you see it all the time with also, like, tackles. Like, they're always trying to, you know beat the system in some kind of way with you know taking out cheese out of their diet or something like that so there's always sort of an adjustment period and I don't think that Chauncey or Larrick really got the full adjustment experience you know this past season in college football so it'll be interesting to see how they go through this process for sure Um, a player that I really want to see the notes on and just see how this process turns out for is Brandon Smith because this is a guy who when he first came to Iowa, he was pegged as a super athlete, right? Like This is a guy who had incredible vertical jump, um, this really explosive big receiver, and at Iowa, you saw it. I mean, last year, that, that catch against Penn State at the end of the game, um, how many times he's high-pointing a footballer just mossing a dude over the shoulder. This guy clearly has some juice to him, and he's this kind of big-bodied um, red zone threat but he's also a good you know sharp route runner underneath too which doesn't get enough credit um and there were some unfortunate times this year where he had either a focus drop or peters kind of missed him on an easy throw and you know so there's adjustment receivers for both him and amir this past year that maybe really maybe hurt their draft stock in a way just as peters was getting sort of you know his feet wet in the college football game um you know if it's Nate Stanley that it's probably a different result for those two maybe their draft stock is going through the roof because they're just making the routine plays and making the splash plays but it'll be really interesting to see how his combine goes or if he gets invite doesn't get invited to the combine just how his pro day goes and how his process goes
1: you said Smith is a guy with a huge catch radius you know big hands big body long arms would go up over guys, could high point the ball. Somebody who early in the season had a a deep player too, where he ran by a defense. And that's something that I wish we would have saw more from him at Iowa. You know, a guy who with those, I felt like almost all of his deep shots were just sideline where it's like a, a 50, 50 ball. And, you know, give him that post chance, give him some of those chance, maybe deep ends where he can use his body, his frame to just basically post up guys to shield, you know, his body. But he, it's an interesting thing from you look at the NFL as far as uh, the passing in the, in that league and the way that they can uh, create advantages at different spots. And he's a really intriguing prospect because of that size. You know, you can line him up outside and he can, you know, be a red zone target or he can just be an, an outside you know, outside routes and, and shielding guys and getting in front of safeties and just almost like a tight end, but but smoother and um, more agile and some of those things. And he's got the frame to, to go down then and, and help your run game. You know, his blocking at receiver is as good as any receiver that Iowa's had, maybe total in the Kirk Ferentz era. You know, his blocking downfield, just every time you'd see a, a long run, from Sargent or Goodson, you know, what did you see? Well, you probably saw Brandon Smith downfield, or if you got a wide view, you probably saw him shielding off his side and then helping downfield. So I you could see him in that role. You know, part of me wonders, does a team try to try to put a little extra size on him and, and play him at a tight end type spot? I don't think that's what you would try to do with him, but it's something that somebody might say, Hey, can we turn him into a pass catching tight end or, Or maybe not even technically a tight end, but somebody who's basically used in those situations where you do kind of line him just off the line and use him in creative ways to help, whether it's blocking or whether it's uh, routes where he can get an advantage on a a safety or on a linebacker.
0: And, you know, there's every single year in the NFL draft, there's a guy. Who just tests really well at the pro day, or just gets you know shunned from the combine and finds a way to get you know scouts to look at him and go through a full testing um, workout, and they just pop with every single number. You know they post a thirty-eight inch vertical and some crazy broad jump and then a, a sub four five forty. That could be Brandon Smith. I, I would not be surprised one bit if Brandon Smith is the guy that people are just talking about based on the athletic profile. And they look at his, you know, college production and say, well, you know, there wasn't a lot here, but you look at the specific plays he made while in college and you're like starting to take notice a bit. And then you start to make the excuses for him. Well, you know, the quarterback was, you know, kind of getting his feet wet. It seems like one of those guys, as the process goes on, might get a little bit more notice and end up being the sixth, seventh round, maybe undrafted kind of free agent type guy. And that's a great spot. You know, I mean, look at some of the receivers in the past years that have gone in that spot. Alan Lazard is a big one, Um, you know, completely undrafted, went to Jacksonville right out the gate, didn't make that roster. Um, Then he make the practice squad, then got signed to the practice squad, then cut, then ends up in Green Bay. And now he's kind of a big big receiver for that offense. So these kinds of things happen, especially with a guy within a great athletic build. And I think Brandon Smith kind of fits that bill. But I also – so I'm going to bring this up now just so that we don't get too far off track. But I'm an NFL draft group chat. And my buddy the other day, he knows I'm an Iowa fan. He knows I'm an Iowa, you know, analyst type guy. And he just asked me the question, you know, every single NFL draft season, we're talking about these uh, premier NFL draft players that come out of Iowa – And it's a no-brainer that they're going to be good in the NFL. It's just like one of those schools that they just know produces great talent and fundamental talent and guys who are ready to play right away. And he asked the question that I always see on Twitter, too, with people who aren't necessarily Iowa fans or sometimes Iowa fans. Why can't Iowa, you know, really just break through a ceiling when they have so much, you know, talent, um, NFL draft talent, guys who are immediate impact players in the NFL – Why can't they just, you know, be a staple as, like, the Wisconsin or the Ohio States in the Big Ten? And, you know, it's a question that we see a lot, uh, and I think there's some merit to it, but I guess I just kind of want to hear your take on it before I give mine.
1: Well, the big thing to me is football is such
0: a unique game
1: in that you're not just great because of one, two, three players. You know, this isn't basketball where if you have the best player on the court, That's really what matters the most. And in football, you just football is much more a weakest link game. So basketball, in my opinion, is like, who's got the best player? You know, football is who's the weakest link. And a place like Iowa is just not going to have maybe the depth at every position or it's, you know, lowest peg on offense or defense is probably not going to be the level of some of those high end teams. And you mentioned that Wisconsin, you know, why Why haven't they frequently gotten over the hump? Why has Wisconsin kind of been the Big Ten West leader? Or why does Iowa occasionally, you know, why is Northwestern beating them at times in different things? And the thing with that is you can have these NFL players, but a lot of Iowa's NFL players aren't necessarily at game-breaking positions. You know, it's not. It's not high-end quarterbacks. It hasn't been high-end running backs. Now, this year, they just had first-team All-Big Ten running back. You know, it hasn't been at receiver. Um, it hasn't been, you know, always at an elite, you know, total game-changer on on defense. Now, recently, you had guys like Epinesa and Davion Nixon. And those guys were game-changers. But they haven't had that type of, especially offensively, um, that type of person. And, a lot of those you know we, we watched in the in the championship game and also just the college football playoff. The the third, fourth best receiver, the the second string running back, the quarterback level, you know, that's just different. And Iowa's producing offensive linemen, producing a lot of tight ends, you know, defensive backs, especially, you know, some corners and safeties, uh, in different spots. So there's a lot of talent there. And Iowa has produced a lot of talent, but there's probably just a bigger, you know, deviation between the best player on the team or the best starter and the lower end starter or rep guy. And that's really been the difference between, you know, some of those, the best teams and Iowa. But at the end of the day, I'm going to turn it back around and say, look over the last eight to 10 years, Iowa's in pretty elite company with how many wins they've had in that total span. So, yeah, maybe they haven't had the highs. Maybe, you know, not a lot of 11 win, you know, 12 win seasons, a couple in the last, you know, while. But they also don't have the lows that some of those other teams have. So it's just been, they've had a lot of good players, not a lot of super high end players at those game breaking positions.
0: I, I, you literally just stole my answer. (laughs) No, I, I really do think that's the case. Um, you, you look at, when was the last time Iowa had a Heisman kind of caliber player at one of the like the the you know the key specialty positions on offense whether it's quarterback receiver or running back i a legit one probably brad banks and what happened with that Iowa team that team was pretty bro- good <laughs> yeah that that team was pretty damn good so I really do think it it really is like that you look at the Chad greenways of the world that they've I was put in the NFL, or the Tristan Wirfs, or the Mike Daniels, or even that entire front, Adrian Claiborne front, you know, Josie Jewell, A.J. Epinesa, Chauncey Golston, these are all quality NFL players that impact positions for sure, but there's tiers to the impact you can have on a game, and it's undeniably the biggest impact you can have on a game is at the quarterback position, and over the years, there's really just not a game breaker there. Um, C.J. Beathard was sort of a game breaker um, that first year uh, as a starter um, when he kind of just broke through the ceiling and guess what? That team was very good and they broke through the ceiling. Imagine that. So the question now becomes how do you replicate that and, you know, and keep it going and maybe you don't need a game breaker at quarterback, but you need to have a guy that definitely elevates the offense, right? And Nate Stanley, as good as he was compared to comparatively to other college quarterbacks in that space He wasn't a game breaker and he, he elevated the offense past maybe the normal big 10 or power five starter, but it wasn't to extra high levels above or tiers above the next guy below him. You know what I mean? With Spencer Petras, you saw some ability to be even better than Nate Stanley this year at some games. And guess what happened in those games? It was blowouts when he was actually, you know, feeling it and making good throws and just kind of connecting downfield. So yeah, it really does come down to just where is the talent coming from? Because Iowa does put a lot of guys in the NFL, but it's usually on the offensive line. It's on the defensive line, which makes plays. Sometimes it's in the secondary and tight end. And and with Iowa's offense, the tight end is a different than, you know, a Kyle Pitts at Florida kind of tight end where they're running 40 yards downfield almost every single snap. So you really have to gauge expectations Just with where the Iowa's talent's coming from, and then give, then turn around, just give them credit, because how are you making a Chauncey Golston kind of prospect into a potential first round pick, and a Tristan Wirfs level guy, you know, as a, a potential, like an All Pro first year in the NFL, protecting Tom Brady, and going to the Super Bowl, being this heralded stalwart at right tackle, and just getting a lot of press as being maybe even Rookie of the Year on offense for a little bit there. There's certain things that Iowa does really, really well, and that's player development. That's just individual execution, just fundamentals and honing down on it um, more individually as far as just player development, maybe not like um, in-game. Well, I guess I'm trying to figure out how to phrase this. It, schematically, they're not always put in the position to you know dominate, um, given their whatever their skill level is, I guess. You know what I mean? Just because Tristan Wirfs is this beast, he's not necessarily, they're not running off right tackle every single snap. They like a balanced approach. And that's where it comes in of just individual execution versus what the team dynamic is. You know, you might have a great tight end in George Kittle, but are you going to throw him, you know, give him 15 targets a game in college when you're, you're a team that his identity is being physical and, draining the clock and trying to control time of possession. No, that's just not how it goes. So once they get to the NFL, they're put into a different kind of stylistic role, but carrying over those elements that Iowa kind of you know, brought out of them, and it creates this, this really well-rounded player who can do so many different things.
1: And that's a step that I hope we see in evolution of this Iowa, especially Iowa offense, is taking those players that have certain strengths and really using those to the highest of the ability. And if there's one thing that I feel like Iowa has struggled with, you know, I think their player development is great. I think their game planning usually is pretty good, but one thing I would like to see them improve on is put your best players in those chances to shine a little bit more. You know, when you're in the red zone, you know, you know, they just had Brandon Smith, give him more targets early in the season. We saw a lot of them and, does the defense adjust a little bit? Or are our safeties now cheating over? Yeah, maybe, but give him a chance. It was, uh, it's something that drove me crazy going back several years. Somebody like Tavon Smith was, in my opinion, maybe as good of a red zone target at receiver as Iowa's had, and it's not because he had outstanding size or this or that, but his combination of size and his how fluid he was, he was just really effective, and I felt like they never they didn't give him the targets that. His skill set warranted, and I would say the same thing about Brandon Smith. And that doesn't mean they shouldn't look elsewhere, and it doesn't think doesn't mean I thought they had bad play design in certain things. But the same happened. There were times with Noah Fant where, you know, let him go make a play in the red zone, and that's one thing that I want to see. Hopefully, we continue to see improvements in those areas, and I think we saw some of that. There were times where they were better with that. There were times where we saw motion you know, a two point play, you know, and uh, a red zone play to things like where you get Amir Smith-Marset in motion. And as he's sprinting across the field, you just quick get him out to the flat and get him the ball as he's running. Look, we saw that play. We have saw that over the last three, four weeks work three or four times for the Kansas City Chiefs where it's like, let's just get one of our fast guys in motion. He's going to win the corner. We can flip him the ball. It's a first down or it's a touchdown in the red zone. So continue to see that out of this offense because maybe in certain situations it's not just about well it's good for this player, but that's good for this team. If you're getting first downs and you're getting touchdowns, that's good for Iowa football. and I hope we can continue to see those small steps. I'd like to see them grow a little bit, but I think there's some chances you look at this football team for the future, you know find ways to get somebody like or find more ways to get Tyler Goodson the ball in space you know, we saw the wildcat this year was a great way to get him extra blockers and making plays. And we saw things off of that, but how can you get Tyler Goodson? How can you get Tyrone Tracy? You know, maybe it's one of these freshman receivers that is coming in. Somebody like a Keegan Johnson or Arlen Bruce. How do you get your dynamic players? Somebody like Sam Laporta, who I think can be a breakout guy. How do you get them in positions to make more impact plays And fit their skill set, you know, not just, well, you know, this is what we do. Okay. This is what we do, but this is how this guy specifically can help us do it and do it better.
0: That's a great point. And I think what Iowa does from a play design standpoint, that really bothers me. And I'm just going to say, I'm just going to frame it like this. Every single player is not created equal. So a Tyrone Tracy has more natural talent and more ability than a Nico Regani, but you look at the target share and Nico Regani is getting 10 times more targets. Why is that? Because they don't know how to really scheme Tyrone Tracy into getting these, you know, yards after the catch kind of plays and allow him to be a playmaker. Embrace your playmakers. When they embraced Akron Wadley, guess what happened? They were able to beat Iowa state in the last few seconds because they just said, we're giving you the ball in space. Go make a play. Guess what happens? He goes out and he makes a play. When Iowa beat Michigan, they said, Akram, you know, you just kind of got to take over, but guess what happened? He was breaking ankles left and right, just doing things that only worked for him when they were getting slaughtered by Florida that same year in the bowl game. And they just needed desperation offense. They're like, all right, Akram, we're just going to throw you a screen. And guess what happened? Akron would break tackles, go for 20 yards a pop and just do things that flashed, right? When DJK was in the offense, they just said, we're listening. We're going to throw you a tunnel screen. Go do your thing. There needs to be more embracing of playmakers and just getting your best players the ball more often than your lesser players. It's, It's a simple, a very simple concept, and it's one that Kyle Shanahan in the NFL has really adopted and I've just fallen in love with. It's because it's so simple and so easy, yet every single coach overthinks these things, right? I mean, you look at Kyle Shanahan's first offensive coordinator stint, or maybe second offensive coordinator stint, in Cleveland. And that's this was with Jason Campbell and Josh Gordon uh, as a rookie. Josh Gordon went off for like 1,600 yards that year, and the Browns won seven games, which was kind of unheard of in that 10-year span. And then the next year, where does he go? Atlanta. Atlanta. Julio sets every single record possible that he can. And guess where that Atlanta team goes? Oh, the Super Bowl. Um, he takes over the job in the 49ers. And, and you're three or four. Guess where they're going? The Super Bowl. And guess who they embraced as a playmaker? George Kittle. <laughs> um, it's just very simple. Get your best players the ball more often than your less players and scheme it. The way Iowa does play design wise is, all right, we're going to make it It's almost like they look at these X's and where the receivers line up and they scheme a player for these, where these receivers are going for each specific spot, but they don't put any heightened value on which player is lining up in that spot. And that just sort of bothers me a bit. Yeah, there's definitely
1: a room for finding more ways to be creative. And if you're looking at offensive play design, there's kind of two ways to look at what is the defense giving us? And what do we want to force the defense to give us? Right. And there are times when I think you've got to ride that edge of force feeding something and utilizing something and and that edge of, okay, you know, maybe we're going to set something up or we're going to I want to see how the defense is going to handle this formation or this package or this or that. So you find those things out early And then you capitalize on them by having a plan for, okay, if they're going to defend this player or this formation this way, here's how we can get player X the ball in this situation. And that's something that's going to be the next step for this offense, especially because over the past few years, the recruiting has been as good as it has ever been under Kirk Ferentz. And they're getting playmakers at different spots that they haven't had. So, How do you utilize those? Well, you find ways to get them the ball in the places they can be most successful. You know, you mentioned somebody like Tyrone Tracy, who when he gets the ball in his hands in the secondary, he's essentially a running back out there and he's a load to bring down for defensive backs. So how can you get him the ball in the right spots to utilize his skill set? He's not going to probably just straight run by everybody, you know, but In a box, he can make great cuts, he can make guys miss, he can run over guys, he can use, you know, his array of moves to make plays downfield. So how do you best utilize that? How do you get him the ball? How do you get you know Laporta the ball? How do you get Tyler Goodson the ball in those situations? Whether it's a handoff, whether it's a pass, whether it's however, you know, the Wildcat, whatever they're doing, how do you get your best players the most touches? And where are those touches happening i one big improvement that i saw I, I just saw this stat on twitter and i need to verify i didn't verify the number but i want to say it was something with tyler goodson had like 79% of his carries were to the outside you know not necessarily outside the tackles but tech you know what they would call outside so a run onto the tackles well you know good that's where he should be yeah. you know he has that sort of ability and you know, Iowa is able to bring back outside zone really with him and all the shotgun runs getting him outside. And that doesn't mean he's a small back that can't run between the tackles, you know, not at all. But is he best outside of the tackles or at least out to the tackles? Yeah, definitely. So that's where they should be getting him those carries. And it's a guy that when you give him the ball in those situations, he goes and can be recognized as an all first team, all big 10 running back. So finding ways to get your best players, the ball in those situations is so important. We'd say the same thing on defense. Like how can you find a way to get your best pass rusher, a one-on-one situation? You know, how do you scheme and get, you know, in the past AJ Epinesa maybe somebody like an Anthony Nelson you know Davion Nixon Chauncey go how do you get those your premier pass rusher in a pass situation a one-on-one matchup what did they do game on the line you know closing time against Nebraska hey Chauncey you're going up over the right guard he can't yeah. block you you know chuck him to the side fumble game over you know hey Davion we're getting you a matchup here against minnesota last year undefeated minnesota coming into kinnick late in the game aj you're going inside against i think it was the left guard go take him out two straight sack sack you know takes tanner morgan out of the game finding ways to scheme your best player and put them in a situation where they can make impact plays situations where you don't need five blockers to perfectly execute a play a situation where you don't need your defense to be perfect in coverage or in this or that. Hey, the other 10 guys, you do your job, do it adequately, but this one player can totally change a play because we've schemed it, we've positioned it to happen. And look, that's not going to happen every play, but if you've got to find the five, six, seven, eight plays during a game where that happens, and those are the game changing moments, you click on two or three of those. That's a 7, 10, 12-point change in a game that's probably going to win you a lot of games, especially for a place like Iowa.
0: Yeah, and I, I don't want to keep harping back to the NFL, but if you have a Calvin Johnson or a prime Des Bryant or a Julio Jones or A.J. Green, you're not like, well, the defense has taken away that guy, so I'm going to throw it to Brian Hartline instead, or I'm going to throw it to the number two guy who is clearly a lot worse than our best receiver or best player on the offense. You're gonna find ways to get him the ball, whether you're being confident as a passer to try to get him that ball, you're gonna find ways just because he's better than the guy he's going to be lined up against in coverage. You just have to make that acknowledgement. So for example, if they're running it, the defense is running a big QB spy or just really trying to lock down a Tyler Goodson sneaking out of the backfield, who cares? If it's one on one with a linebacker with you know three feet of space, who do you thinks winning in a, in a phone booth? Tyler Goodson's gonna win eight times out of 10 uh, unless you're facing one of the elite linebackers. And even then you should still be trying, you know what I mean? Get your playmakers the ball and just let them do their thing. That's just kind of the big thing that I think I would just really needs to adopt. And part of it, I think maybe, and this is more, this is very theoretical. I'm going to be very clear about this and very, you know, I I could be way off base, but the way that I was quarterbacks are coached to me just seems like they're more passive and more calculated and more, you know, just conservative with their approach to trying to fit in anticipatory throws, throws down the field, and throws that are kind of more high risk, right? You saw it with C.J. Beathard in his junior year. He was winging it all over the field, and he was making some big plays um, all over, just no matter what kind of throw it was. His senior year, it almost kind of felt like he took this conservative step back, And they said, listen, we're going to get a little bit more dump off heavy. We're going to have a little bit more quick outs under the sticks. And we're just going to kind of live with it. You know, don't be so reckless throwing on the run, trying to make a big play. Just go through progressions and make something happen. And when they when a quarterback kind of gets in that mindset of like, I'm only within the structure, I feel like it hurts their game because they can't make those off-balanced, off-structure kind of throws that you see from the Patrick Mahomes of the world and the Josh Allens and Aaron Rodgers and and, and Tom Brady even. It, it kind of limits them to the mindset of, you know, I'm going to make the throws that I'm told to make and I, I'm not going to really push the envelope at all.
1: Yeah, and, and that's what makes the quarterback position probably the hardest position in all of sports. You know, because there is such a fine line. The number one predictor of who's going to win a football game turnover margin like by far the number one predictor so you know you know the coaches are always going to be like hey we got to make sure we take care of the ball it's literally the number one most important thing in football but there's that fine line because you've got to take care of the ball but you also have to be willing to make a play and that's like i said what makes that position the hardest position in all of sport is because you have to ride this line of making a play yet not making the worst thing that can happen to your team. And as you said, there's times where you feel like the quarterback is gun shy. Um, And whether that's been coached, whether that's just a player naturally being really hard on themselves, you know, CJ was one of those players that you just felt like if something happened, it just rolled off of him, you know, Mm -hmm. but we, we saw from Nate Stanley, like you could visibly see when he made a mistake, like it was upsetting to him. And, You know, we saw the same thing this year with Spencer Petrus when he made errors. Like he was visibly upset with himself. And look, that's normal. That's not a a, something wrong with them. Like you're going to feel that way. But the elite, the best of the best, know that. All right, you got me on this one, or I made this mistake. I'm not going to make it again. And you know, looking forward, Petrus had some of those moments where he just looked gun shy to make a mistake. But the one thing I'll say, and we we mentioned it toward the end of the year. I didn't feel like he was making the same mistake over again. So when I'm you know, looking forward to the future, okay, what's, what's his potential? What's his team look like? One thing I'm taking in, into account is, yeah, there are times when you know, he had accuracy issues. There were times when his feet didn't look under him or this or that. But there weren't a lot of times where I felt like he was making the same mistake over or where the coaching staff was putting him in a position to make that mistake. And at the end of the year, we saw some deep connections. We saw, um, you know, limited, he limited his turnovers, things like that. So, you know, looking at the future, that's something that I think is really promising. But it is such a fine line. Like, you got to be willing to go out there and make a play. And as a coaching staff, let those guys make plays, whether it's your quarterback, whether it's a running back. Hey, you need ball security. You know, it's something that. Look at Amir Smith Marset. Like his ball security (laughs) on kick returns, like made my heart jump out of my chest so many times with him jumping and the ball flailing. But he was too good to like that can't be your number one issue. Like, because if all he thinks about is ball security, he's not making the kick return against Nebraska. He's not making the kick return against USC. He's not making the other big plays that he made. So you just have to find that fine line and that's the hardest thing for those guys. It's hard for the coaches, but it's something that they can improve on, and they need to improve on to let your best players have the freedom to make plays safely.
0: Right? You know they can't just be robots out there. And you you said it like these people are human. Like these players are human. We often oftentimes think of think of players as just kind of like execution machines, right? And if they're off target, they're off target. And, you know, there's no outside factors that are affecting every single given play. But there is. They're thinking about a lot of things, you know, whether where the safeties are, you know, where how their play aligns with the defensive, you know, defensive look pre-snap. Um, you know, whether a player on the defensive line is breaking through unexpectedly or a guy falls down. Um, there are so many things that are going through a quarterback's head. And if you try to, you know, basically neuter them and neuter their confidence and just be like, listen, you're making throws out of structure. What happens when the guy barrels through your left guard or your center and is right in your face and you can't go through your progressions anymore? You know, there were some times this year, I I, I want to say it was a Nebraska game. Yeah, it was a Nebraska game. There were some times where Spencer just got off schedule because of a bad snap or you know for whatever reason and when he went off structure he he looked like he had no idea what was going on and what happened he would just panic and throw a pick it it happened twice in that game after that game you know he really tightened it up with that which i really commend and i think Iowa fans should really start to commend just the progress that he made throughout the year but you know it's just one of those things where a conf- a quarterback has to be confident at all times he has to be the leader and exuberate this kind of You know, I can do it, you know, just do your job and I'll hold up my end kind of thing. But if he's overthinking everything and he's kind of panicking and he just he's not really feeling like he can make every single throw that's there, no matter whether it's on structure or out of structure, you're going to have those problems where you have an air mailed pass or um, once he gets out of the pocket, just taking a bad sack or running out of bounds for one yard when he could have made a throw down the field for 50.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's the difference between being a a middling quarterback in this conference and being one of the top four or five, you know, or I should say three or four, maybe, you know, is what's your ability to not just make the standard play, but then to make an off schedule play or to when things break down to make the right play. And sometimes, you know, sometimes that is a three or four yard play. You know, and there are sometimes when the three or four yard safe play is not the right play. You know, it's third and twelve, take that shot. You know, there are times when yeah, it, it's fine to go underneath. You know, live another day. But you know, there are times when you just have to take the shot, and if that that four or five yards of field position can be turned around other ways, you know, if we can take this chance at at making a play downfield. So, with somebody like Petrus or with the quarterback play it's just going to be really interesting because hopefully we have some spring you know hopefully there is spring practice and those guys are able to work on those things and and hopefully we get some sort of summer where we can see some of those progressions and because there's going to really need to be because you have petrus back but you're going to have you know two new outside receivers you know maybe somebody like tyron tracy fills in one of those spots but it's still you're missing your number one and two snap guys for the past three years on the outside. So you're going to have to develop that chemistry and that trust.
0: Yeah. There's going to be a lot of, you know, we talked about Iowa coming into this year, having to rebuild a lot of their pieces, especially, you know, but you lose a starting quarterback, you lose your, you know, a prime right tackle. Um, who's an NFL top 10 kind of caliber guy. And you lose, you know, a lot of linebackers and and a safety, and you're just starting to think, you know, what's this team going to look like? Well, next year's team doesn't have those guys, and then it also doesn't have guys who made significant impacts last year. So, you know, as we, you know, move into future podcasts, we'll probably, we're definitely going to be focusing more and more on that. We also have um, a hot take kind of segment that we compiled that we're not going to get into this one just because we've been running a little bit longer but we still have some ones to talk about. So you you want to tune in in the future and we'll hit you with that. Um, Thad, Do you have any last parting words for the people out there?
1: Not a whole lot. You know, we've talked in the past about enjoying being a Hawkeye sports fan right now. We've had a few wrestling matches, uh, the basketball team after having opponents, I'm going to say opponents dodging them. Why not? <laughs> I, I would, um, you know, they're finally going to be back on the men's team is going to be back on the court and have a busy week. I think they've got four games, you know, in the next eight ish, nine days. So they're going to be back at it. So just enjoy this time. Hopefully uh in the near future, we get some, some word about, you know, if there's any newcomers to the football team this spring and we're not that far from spring football as crazy as, you know, maybe that feels or that sounds, but uh, you know, that's going to be happening in the next, you know, we're going to start hearing news about that, when to start all those things. And, and I can't wait to get that news. And we get NFL draft news coming up and there's going to be a couple Hawkeyes that are Super Bowl champions. Um, <laughs> so we're going to be able to get into that and things like that. So uh, enjoying this time, uh, you know, and just uh, enjoy being a Hawkeye fan in, and, and cheering for those guys, whether they're they're wearing black and gold right now, or whether they're guys wearing different colors now and and uh, representing the University of Iowa.
0: Yeah, you know, Duce Hogan's first touchdown pass in spring is going to be electric on Twitter. <laughs> let me tell you for sure. Um, but yeah, you know, as we move on future episodes, we'll definitely be talking about the draft. We'll recap the Super Bowl because there will be Hawkeyes in the Super Bowl. Um, Iowa wrestling is kicking ass right now too. So we'll talk about Iowa wrestling and women's basketball and men's basketball too. we will have to give them their spotlight because every single sports just kind of clicking right now for Iowa. I've even heard that track. Iowa track. I'm, I'm not big in the falling track, but I've heard that they're doing really well too. Do you know anything about that? Uh, I believe I saw a thing that I think they're ranked in the top 10 nationally. Um,
1: I, I would be the same way. I don't follow it, uh, really closely. Um, I do know somebody who's maybe interested, uh, an acquaintance that's interested in in maybe being a, a future Hawkeye track person, um, mm-hmm. and just has gotten some information from them about how well the program's doing right now. So yeah, they're they're great. I saw some things. Um, I don't know if they've started, but I saw the university pushing out some things about gymnastics and and things like that. I don't follow some of the Olympic sports quite as much, but but it looks like I need to um, because there's a lot of excellence going on right now there as well.
0: Yeah, man. I Welcome to being a Hawkeye fan. This is <laughs> great athletics. I'm t- It's just, you know, always something to keep you entertained. Um, with that said, we will see you all in a future podcast. That's, that goes for boys and girls, men and women. Um, we have representation in the audience from both parties. So we appreciate that, as always. You know, you guys have been killing it. Um, keep sending us your hot takes. Uh, we'll definitely throw them in the podcast if you have a good hot take. Uh, it can be actually about anything, so just feel free to send us your hot take about food and whether a hot dog's a sandwich or um, or whatever the, the the polarizing questions are. Uh, we'll definitely throw our our takes in on those too. But you know, with that said, we will see you all in a future podcast. Take it easy.